Hello, I'm Aaron Lohr. And I'm Caitlin Andrzejczyk. And this is the Endocrine News Podcast. We're continuing our special Women in Endocrinology series, where we speak with the authors of 12 influential, high-impact research papers published in endocrine society journals since 2017. The selections for this special series reflect the spectrum of basic through clinical research, geographical diversity, and career stage. Stay tuned. In this podcast episode, I spoke with Dr. Verakina Thackeray. Dr. Thackeray is an associate professor of reproductive medicine at the University of California, San Diego, and a member of the Center for Reproductive Science and Medicine and the Center for Microbiome Innovation. Dr. Thackeray's research interests are in the crosstalk between metabolism and reproduction. Her 2018 JCEM paper, titled Gut Microbial Diversity in Women with Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Correlates with Hyperandrogenism, was nominated and selected for our special Women in Endocrinology collection. You can find links to this paper and full thematic collection at www.endocrine.org podcast. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Can you provide the big picture of your paper and the results? I guess I can just very briefly talk about polycystic ovary syndrome, otherwise known as PCOS. And so this is a very common endocrine disorder. It affects about 1 in 10 women worldwide. So a lot of women have this disorder. And it's now diagnosed commonly using the Rotterdam criteria, which basically you need to have two out of these three criteria, which includes an increased number of cystic follicles in the ovaries, which are called polycystic ovaries. And this is used diagnosed with ultrasound. And then slightly higher levels of testosterone or clinical symptoms such as excess body hair and a regular or no menstrual periods. So this is how this disorder is diagnosed. And there's actually quite a few comorbidities that are associated with this disorder. It's commonly thought of as a reproductive disorder, but you have an increased risk of infertility and miscarriage and pregnancy complications. But um, PCOS is much more than just a reproductive disorder. So for example, women um, with this disorder commonly have metabolic dysregulation, and they have an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes, hypertension, and like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So there's a lot of other things that kind of go along with this disorder that we would like to treat. Thinking of the paper, because there's been a lot of work in the gut microbiome field and metabolism, we started thinking about whether the gut microbiome may play a role in PCOS. And so you you know, the big picture of the paper is that it shows that PCOS is also associated with changes in the gut microbiome. And more specifically, um, women with this disorder have lower biodiversity. So that's kind of the types of bacteria that are in their intestine. And then changes in the amounts of specific types of bacteria can be healthy women. And what we thought was very interesting was that these changes are associated or linked with their testosterone levels. So if you have higher levels of the testosterone, you could lower um, diversity of your gut microbiome in more changes. You were comparing the microbiome samples between women with PCOS and women with, without and seeing this decrease in diversity overall with women who had elevated levels of testosterone. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And we actually have three groups. So this was a collaborative study between 
my lab at um, UC San Diego and one of my clinical collaborators in my department, Anthony Deliba. Um, we had clinicians um, recruiting patients and collecting clinical data and fecal swabs from women actually at the University of Poznan in Poland. So this was Beata Banasuespa and her colleagues. And then I had a bioinformatics collaborator at San Diego State University. So this definitely was a team effort. And we had three groups of women that were recruited, women that had PCOS, women that had um, relatively the same amount of weight but did not have PCOS. And then we also included a group of women that basically just had signs of polycystic ovaries, but no other of the symptoms of PCOS. So we we're curious about that group as well. It was three groups that we were comparing. And as you said, the women with PCOS had the lower amount of diversity than the other groups. So the third group, just for my clarification, is this the, the group of women with polycystic ovarian morphology, but yeah. they were lacking some of that other diagnostic criteria? Yeah, so a lot of women have polycystic ovaries, but there's always been this question, and it's not as if we answered this in the study, about whether these women are kind of on the continuum towards developing a PCOS-like phenotype or not. So we were curious in terms of did these women have a different microbiome as well? Could we detect that? Um, and we, we were not able to with our sample size. So what was clear was that the women that had at least two out of the three criteria of PCOS, they had changes in the gut microbiome. Can we talk a little bit about the methods that you used to actually look at this in these women? Yada and her colleagues at Poznan University of Medical Sciences they recruited about, oh, I think it was 163 premenopausal women in these three different categories that we were talking about. And they collected a whole variety of clinical data in terms of their testosterone levels, their luteinizing hormone levels, their weight, their insulin sensitivity, things like this, as well as um, fecal swabs. So we chose, in this particular study, just do a swab because women were coming in already to the lab to get some other tests done, as opposed to collecting a stool sample, which is also common, but a little more difficult to get. Can you tell me a little bit about how you're actually able to look at the diversity of the microbiome? So actually, we had a really talented graduate student, Pedro Torres, who took the lead on this project. And he's actually in a joint doctoral program between San Diego State University and UC San Diego. So between my lab and Dr. Kelly's lab, Pedro learned how to extract the DNA from these samples. And then the samples were sent off for um, 16S ribosomal RNA sequencing. So what this is, is this is sequencing with primers that can recognize their universal primers for bacteria. So they can pick up a whole bunch of different types of bacteria. And so that sequencing was done. Um, you then get the whole data set. And then Pedro actually then was able to ask questions using different bioinformatics techniques that have been developed to like kind of look at the overall composition of the microbiome and then specifically at different types of bacteria. So one of the things we were talking about is like this biodiversity. It's basically a measure of the richness of a particular ecosystem. So we're translating ecology terms down to our gut microbiome. And so he was able to look at this actual diversity that occurs in a healthy woman and then ask, do you have, for example, the same number of species 
or relatedness of the species, is that affected? And that was in these women that had PCOS. Yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about uh, what Pedro found? This overall diversity is seen in quite a lot of disease states that it goes down. So as you go from a baby, you're developing your gut microbiome, and you go through your developmental stages and become an adult, it's known that your alpha diversity or this biodiversity increases. So what people have seen in a lot of different disease states, including metabolic disorders like obesity and type 2 diabetes and now PCOS, you actually see a decrease in the biodiversity. So the thought is, is that may be a marker of dysbiosis or your health is somehow affected, you know, in terms of your actual gut microbes that are growing. So hypothetically, that could mean that the function of your gut microbiome and what it does for you as the host may be affected as well. Then in terms of that mother analyses, Pedro also then looked at beta diversity, which is basically a measure of how similar different samples are to each other. He was able to show that the healthy women samples clustered together, which kind of makes sense. And that the women with PCOS, their samples or their gut bacterial communities also clustered together. And what was I thought was really interesting was for both of these measures, the alpha diversity and the beta diversity, Pedro did regression analyses and took all those clinical parameters that had been collected by our clinical colleagues and was able to show that the main thing that correlated with the changes in the gut microbiome was whether you had higher levels of testosterone or not, which is this big marker of PCOS. So for example, he also looked at weight, insulin sensitivity, other clinical parameters that we had and saw no correlation with those, really just with the hyperandrogenism. So what that suggests to us is that if you were going to make some predictions, it's possible that having higher testosterone levels actually changes your gut microbiome. And we'll have to do future studies to kind of understand that. Because right now it's an association, but you know, we'd like to get moved from past association to potential mechanism that's in the future. So do you have a hypothesis as to whether or not there is a causal relationship between the gut microbiome diversity and testosterone at this point? Or can you speculate a little bit on what you guys are thinking about? I was just giving a talk at a microbiome local meeting in La Jolla last week, and I was kind of realizing that this is kind of uncharted waters in terms of reproductive endocrinology in the microbiome. We know very little about how endocrinology and the reproductive axis is affected by the microbiome and vice versa. What we do know is that there are sex differences. So larger studies now have supported the idea that there are differences between men and women's gut microbiomes. And the suggestion is, is this changes during puberty when you bring on sex steroids, which kind of makes sense. And so the suggestion or hypothesis is, is that when you change levels of sex steroids, you change the gut microbiome. How, we're not quite sure about yet, and we could speculate about that. So in a disorder where you have changes in sex steroids like PCOS, it wouldn't be that surprising that you would see changes in the gut microbiome. And so how could this occur? We really don't know at this point in time, but there's two kind of broad ways that this could potentially happen. One way is 
you could envision that the testosterone levels activate androgen receptors that are in the body, that are in women as well as men. And that changes something in the host, us. So maybe it changes our immune system. Maybe it changes how our intestinal epithelium works. There's lots of things that it could possibly do that could then change who is permitted to be present in our gut microbiome. Basically our tolerance or our, you know, our tolerance of our commensal bacteria could change. The other alternative or possibility is that the testosterone could have a direct effect on the gut microbes. And there is some earlier work with estrogen and gut microbes that kind of suggests and shows that there are enzymes in bacteria that are known to convert estrogen. It's conjugated in the liver, and then they basically deconjugate them in the gut. And so that deconjugation step ends up releasing energy. So you could hypothesize that by changing sex levels, maybe you change the gut microbiome, their function, simply by changing how much energy you have around within the gut. I'm kind of curious now whether there's any thoughts of potential ways to influence the microbiome in women who have PCOS or other conditions. Is that something that could be possibly done in the future? I think it's down the road. I think we're really in, in the early stages yet. But I think that that is a question that we have is, could we develop microbial therapies to help women with PCOS? And the, the field is strongest, you know, in terms of, for example, people that have C. difficile and they get a fecal microbiome transplant, and that's very efficacious, right? So that's now considered first-line therapy for C. difficile infection. So they get one fecal microbiome transplant and they see, a, you know, over a 90% remission rate. Now, in our scenario, in a chronic scenario where we're not curing PCOS, the suggestion would be that we would have to do a relatively routine treatment. So you could envision maybe we could figure out what is changed in the microbiome, what is missing or what is different. For example, could you figure out a different or novel probiotic combination that women with PCOS could take every day or a couple times a week that would kind of restore their microbiome. So that's what we're thinking and what we're trying to do right now using our mouse models is to come up with some targets that we could test in preclinical studies. Can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you are working on now? You know, with this study that we had here um, and some other studies that were published in the past two years, we're now pretty confident that there's an association between PCOS and the gut microbiome. So where we would like to go is start using um, animal models to ask questions about how this is occurring and can we put in or treat with a specific metabolite or a pre or probiotic to prevent or treat the PCOS-like symptoms that you would see in the animal model with the idea of developing future therapeutics. So what we have right now is we have a letrozole-induced PCOS mouse model. And this basically ends up with elevated testosterone levels and lower estrogen levels. So the ratio is changed and you see very strong reproductive as well as metabolic symptoms and changes in the gut microbiome. So where we're at right now is we have a paper where we basically co-housed 
mice that had the PCOS-like symptoms and healthy mice. And we were able to see an improvement of a lot of these symptoms because of the sharing of the microbiome that goes on if these mice are co-housed together. So what this suggests to us is that it's possible that bacterial exchange between the mice is having an effect. So again, um, what we're now doing is kind of two things. One is we're using an omics approach, looking at the metagenomes of these bacteria and looking at what genes are represented or underrepresented to get some hints as to what is changing, as well as doing metabolomics, which is looking at the metabolites produced by the bacteria and asking have those changed to get some clues as to potential therapeutics that could be tested in our animal model. That's very interesting. So you're... You... I just have a quick question about the actual um, uh, results from these mice that were co-housed. Did you actually see changes in the microbiomes between the two different mouse groups, uh, the mice that were introduced to healthier mice? Yes, we did. What we saw was the model is basically from puberty, four weeks of age, up to adulthood. So as these mice were co-housed together, we basically saw by two weeks of co-housing, a shift in the microbiome that correlated with beginning protection, for example, from weight gain, which is the main thing that we measured over the course of the study as opposed to at the end of the study. And then by the end of the study, we saw very strong protection from developing the metabolic phenotype. So if you co-house the PCOS model with a healthy mouse, it did not develop insulin resistance. It did not have weight gain. It had a very strong metabolic phenotype. And we would hypothesize that's potentially why you also saw improvement in the reproductive parameters. So the testosterone levels in these co-house mice were lower, and the mice appeared to start cycling again. So that was really exciting for us because... This is kind of goes along with the idea that if you have women with PCOS and they lose a certain amount of weight, it can often have an impact on their reproductive function as well. So there is this connection between metabolism and reproduction that we still don't quite understand, but that's one way potentially that manipulating or modulating the gut microbiome could potentially help women with PCOS. Fascinating. So I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about your own personal experience as a researcher. This paper was highlighted as part of our collection featuring women in endocrinology. And I think our audience would like to hear a little about your own research experience or how you ended up where you are. When I basically got my PhD at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center before it moved out and became the Anschutz Medical Center in Colorado. And this was in Steve Marvin's lab. And we were pretty much focused on molecular me mechanisms of steroid hormone receptor action. So there was a really good group there um, looking at different steroid receptors and asking mechanistic questions, including Steve's lab, as well as Dean Edwards and Kate Horowitz. So I really enjoyed that interaction. And, you know, there's a lot of fellows and graduate students that were kind of working together. And it was a great introduction. Like Kate Horowitz was very involved with women in endocrinology. And um, one of my thesis advisors was Maggie Weirman, who's very involved with women in endocrinology and is an accomplished um, reproductive endocrinologist as well. So it was a really good experience in more basic research. And then um, because of family reasons, my husband is a scientist as well. We moved to San Diego 
and I knew I was looking for a postdoc and I decided to join Pam Mellon's lab uh, here at UCSD. And what attracted me to Pam's group was that she had a really good mix of molecular biology, but also um, getting more into physiology and in vivo models. And I was really interested in that. And she was really well established in reproductive endocrinology, looking at regulation of the upper part of the reproductive axis, going what's going on in to generate neurons in the pituitary gonadotrope cells. So I did my postdoc there, and then I was basically, Pam's footprint is pretty big, so I was trying to figure out a what something new that I was interested in, and I was became very interested in the interaction between metabolism and reproduction. And so I wrote a first R01, and that was funded, and that was kind of looking at the influence of insulin signaling on the reproductive axis and in the pituitary. And then we have a center for reproductive science and medicine here at UC San Diego. And we were very interested in developing a mouse model for PCOS that had both the, a strong reproductive and metabolic phenotype. And in collaborative studies in 2015, we did develop this model. This is when I realized that, you know, all this field that had been starting and been going on for probably 10 years or so in terms of the gut microbiome, we could begin to ask some questions about PCOS and whether the gut microbiome plays a role in the development or the pathology of this disorder. So that was really exciting to me to kind of get into a new field of microbiology. And we have a great um, group here kind of in San Diego, both at UC San Diego and other institutions as well. So I've really enjoyed going into that field as well, looking at using a mouse model to study this, but also doing some studies with women. It's kind of amazing how I think it revitalized microbiology. I mean, it's not the only thing, but, but it also then has had this huge impact on a lot of other different fields. So that's actually been really exciting to kind of explore, you know, not only interactions in the body in terms of endocrinology, but now we're talking about a whole other ecosystem that lives within us that's microbial that also potentially could play a role in our health and disease. I guess one of the things I wanted to point out is, is that one of the reasons I'm interested in studying PCOS is because it is a disorder that is somewhat, you know, it, it kind of ties into women's health. And it's also a disorder that is under-recognized and underdiagnosed and underfunded. So it's one of these things that has profound long-term health effects on women, but it's somewhat trivialized, I think, because it's a reproductive disorder or viewed as a reproductive disorder when it really is a disorder that has effects on a lot of our health. So we don't know why this disorder arises. It has a very strong heritable component but there's also this idea that environmental influences also have an effect on this disorder. So one of the most common complaints of women with this disorder is weight gain or difficulty losing weight. So again, I'm motivated by this research in that it would be great to be able to develop new treatments for women with PCOS that could potentially help them deal with this disorder and in the future, hopefully understand or partially understand the role that the gut microbiome may be playing in the pathology of this disorder. It just seems like a very important disorder to be studying and to have a better understanding of it.
of all the mechanisms involved. Exactly. And because it's genetic, probably it's one of these disorders where you have some genetic predisposition, you may not be able to modify that. But if there's a way to modify something in your environment or as you are growing up, so in a way like PCOS is considered to manifest at puberty, even though you probably are predisposed for this earlier on in life. So maybe, for example, if we can learn more, we can target adolescence and try and intervene or prevent development of symptoms then that could have more profound effects later on in life, as opposed to now, many women come in and are diagnosed with PCOS when they're trying to get pregnant, for example, and it would have been helpful probably for them and potentially their metabolism that they could have been diagnosed a lot earlier. Well, thank you very much for your time. This has been a fascinating discussion, and I am really looking forward to hearing more about your future work. It was a pleasure to talk to you today. What I really liked about my conversation with Dr. Thackeray was learning about the potential relationship between testosterone levels and the gut microbiome diversity. There is very little known about the relationship between the microbiome and reproductive health, and I'm excited to learn more about this fascinating field. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening to the Endocrine News Podcast. To learn more, visit www.endocrine.org podcast. There you can find this episode and some helpful links. You can subscribe to Endocrine News Podcasts on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes. And if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover on the podcast, let us know by emailing us at podcast at endocrine.org. Thanks again for listening. Endocrine News Podcasts are a free service of the Endocrine Society. To learn more or to become a member, visit the Society's website at www.endocrine.org.